Hello and welcome back to Mental Health Spot. This is Oli speaking. If you are under the age of 18, please consult with your parent, guardian, or a trusted adult before continuing to tune into my podcast episodes. Major trigger warning on this particular episode, as I will be discussing COVID-19, grief, and loss of a loved one. And so, again, major trigger warning. If you do not feel like you can emotionally or psychologically tolerate a conversation about grief, COVID-19, or loss of a loved one, I encourage you to stop listening now. you know, drink some water. Maybe I need to take an anxiety medication. Don't worry, y'all. I don't take the ones that are habit forming. I don't mess with benzos. No shade against anybody who takes benzos. They're very popular and they are often used to treat anxiety. Just for me, my personal preference, um, I would just rather not. And that's just my thing. So I take something called Vistaril. It's actually used for allergies but can also function for anxiety. (sighs) You know what? I think that's a really good idea. So I'm going to do that. Stay tuned. Because as you guys can hear my bed as usual, making all the noise in the world. (sighs) Let's go ahead and take this anxiety medication. Because I think it's a good idea. For this particular episode, because I'm sure once I'm done, I'm going to be in tears. Okay. So this episode is essentially a continuation of the previous episode that talked about my experience with COVID-19. If you have not heard that episode, I would recommend that you hear it before listening to this one, just as a point of reference. On January 18th, at 6.12 p.m., my father passed away due to complications related to COVID-19. and um, I told you guys that I would record no matter what happened I said it in the previous episode I said no matter what happens I'm going to come on here and record and I'm going to do that because I think that I am a therapist and I'm a lot of therapists. Like I am a therapist in the way that I think, in the way that I speak, in the way that I treat people. I mean, I've always been a therapist. I was a therapist since day OB pretty much, but 
I'm also human. And I want to make sure that I'm honest about my hardships and my struggles. And that we can navigate through these things together. And so I lost my father to COVID-19. My father was 82 years old, independent, strong, so much quality of life. He drove, he did groceries. I mean, he took care of my mother. Um, He suffered from congestive heart failure and COPD. And of course, that in conjunction with his age made him very vulnerable to complications from the coronavirus, aka COVID-19. This is definitely going to be the hardest episode I've ever recorded. So... Anyone who's been listening to my podcast since the beginning or anyone who knows me on a very personal level is aware that my relationship with my father is complicated. My father What I don't want to do is what people do when people pass away and say, "Oh my gosh, you know, All my experiences were positive with this person and this person was absolutely great 24-7 to me. I don't want to be facetious. My father was a difficult man with deep-seated mental health issues. Of course, I didn't know that growing up until I figured it out. And I do believe that I became a therapist because of him, to understand him. At least that was one of the reasons. But you're aware of my childhood. I will say this. And I believe there's an episode on here where I talk about my positive memories and experiences with him. My father... had a very tumultuous upbringing. And back in those days, seeing a therapist was frowned upon. You were crazy. It was, oh my God, you're going to El Loquero. Like, you're going to the crazy doctor because there's something wrong with you. Now therapy is more normalized. It's been destigmatized. And so he never received help. He was never on any kind of medication. And he, you know, entered relationships with other people, be it friendships, family members, romantic, etc. He raised the daughter, me. And his trauma affected all of us, inevitably. Because when somebody is unhealed, it doesn't matter how hard you try... The unhealed parts of you start to seep out and affect the people close to you. It's happened with me. I mean, I'm very self-aware and I know 
what my areas for improvement are. And I try to be very reparative with people when I notice that the unhealed parts of me are interfering. Um, But they still interfere. It happens. It's just a matter of, again, being self-aware, being reparative, having open and honest conversations. But again, not not everyone has the insight to do that or the awareness to do that. It takes a certain level of insight, a certain level of knowing like, okay, there is room for me to grow. I am wrong or I could potentially be wrong. Um, I think my dad, given his upbringing and his circumstances, did the best he possibly could. And I know that my dad loved me deeply in spite of his faults. In the previous recording, I talk about how I stayed in a hotel for a week because I was trying to get away from them to avoid contaminating them or the house with COVID. And my dad was boohoo crying, saying, what if my daughter dies alone? What if something happens to her? I just want her to come home. I don't even care that she has COVID. I just want her home. And so to me, it's a testament to his love for me that he didn't even care that my virus could kill him. He just wanted me home. And I want to say that over the years, my dad changed for the better. And I really believe that I had something to do with it. And I'm not trying to, you know, gas myself up and give myself all the credit here. But I do believe that the love and the compassion and understanding and comprehension that I showed him made a difference. And so, um, shout out to my cousin if she's listening because she paid for me to stay in a hotel for two nights. She literally messaged me and was like, your parents cannot catch COVID. We got to get you out of there. As soon as I tested positive and I was just frozen. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that I had COVID. I was in tears, not for me, but because I knew what was coming. Again, I knew I would be fine. I knew I would be fine. I was not worried about myself. I was worried about my dad, which is crazy because, and I think I referenced this in the previous episode, if you see my dad and you see my mom, you think, oh, forget it. Olivia's mom is not going to make it if she catches COVID. And my mom was virtually asymptomatic. And COVID stole my dad from us um so once I was out of the house I was like this is good you know I'm glad that Christina and I were able to make this happen um that's my cousin by the way 
I just used her name. Um, and again, shout out to her because she paid for it and she refuses to accept any money from me, but I will pay her back eventually. Um, and then I ended up staying for a week in a government funded hotel and it was hard. It was hard to sit with COVID alone, but the possibility that I could be saving my parents was far more important to me than being anxiety ridden. Um, So my dad was on a ventilator. Again, I recommend you hear the previous episode for more context. My dad was on a ventilator and he was showing either slight improvement or remaining the same, remaining stable. He wasn't getting worse. And so like I've said, if he's not getting worse or he's showing any kind of improvement, I'm going to fight alongside him. But if there's anything that I'm grateful for, It's that my dad and my mom and I have had open conversations about what to do when the time comes. And I was able to honor what he would want. I was able to put my selfishness aside and prioritize what he would want. And the fact that I was able to muster that kind of strength to me me speaks volumes and I'm proud of myself for that it hurts it hurts so much and of course I think to myself well could I have done more because my dad used to love telling the story about all the times I've saved his life one time in particular that I saved his life he used to love telling everybody Oh, this is my daughter. This is the only one that has been by my side and she saved my life and she made sure that I came home safe. And I really wanted him to do that this time. I wanted him to regale everyone with stories about how I saved his life. I certainly tried. It was not from lack of trying. Um... At 4 a.m. on January 18th, I was restless. I couldn't sleep, I was tossing and turning, and I knew something was wrong. It wasn't just my usual anxiety, it was something was telling me that something was not okay. And so I called the hospital for an update. And his nurse picks up the phone and she's like, I can't talk to you right now, we have an army of doctors in here trying to stabilize your father because his heart rate is in the 180s. And I was like, okay, can can you have a doctor call me? Yes, I'll have him call you back because right now we're trying to stabilize him. So. (sighs) The doctor calls me back maybe half an hour later. Says that my dad is not totally stable. Says that my dad has kidney failure and possibly needs dialysis. Blood in his urine. Um, 
acid in his blood, an infection in his blood, um, heart failure, the pneumonia still in his lungs from the COVID, and his tummy was distended, and they were concerned about a possible bowel obstruction. Apparently from laying down for so many days, especially for a man that's used to moving around, um, it can cause bowel obstruction. And that's like emergency surgery. Or you could die. I mean, you will die if that's not corrected. That's how that is. And so the doctor was like, look, if you want to come and you want to see him, um... You know, come see him, I'll approve it, and you can make a decision then. And so, um, I went, I saw him, and he knew I was there, even though he was on the ventilator. He knew I was there, I was asking him questions and having him respond to me with his eyes. And he was able to blink in response to what I was asking and saying. I was still hopeful then. I was like, maybe... I was like, Dad, you know, no matter what happens, everything's going to be fine, but I need you to fight. Man, the man fought. He really did. He gave it a good shot. And I'm so proud of him. I hope he knows that. Um, doctor comes in and doctor's like, we need to take him for CT to find out what's going on in his tummy. But I mean, what do you want to do? Because this isn't looking good. Everything's failing. And I was like, look, if there's nothing serious going on in his belly... I would like for him to try the dialysis, see if that, if that works. It was hard for me to make that choice because I remember my father-in-law, after a certain amount of time, no longer being able to tolerate um, the dialysis. When I say my father-in-law, I mean my boyfriend's father. Um, he was no longer able to tolerate the dialysis and um, I was alone with him when he coded I was asleep on the recliner and the nurse woke me up and she's like I'm really sorry but your father-in-law's not having a positive reaction to the dialysis and everything started to just go haywire and there were like tons of doctors in there trying to stabilize him and I had to call my boyfriend and be like you need to come back because I had sent him home to rest and so it was hard for me not to like think about my father-in-law's adverse reaction to the dialysis because I was afraid that my dad was going to go down that path but I was like all right you know what let's do it if it doesn't work it doesn't work I mean at this point the man has all odds stacked against him so let's try this one last Hail Mary so I say goodbye to my dad I tell him I love him. And 
I come home because I can't leave my mom alone very long, being that she's handicapped. And so about an hour later, I want to say, I get a call from the doctor saying that my father does in fact have bowel obstruction and that he um, needs surgery ASAP. And she was basically like, look, there's a slim to, slim to none chance that he will survive this. He is not stable enough for surgery. So we need to get him stable for surgery. If we take him to surgery, he can die on the table. If he doesn't die on the table, we cannot guarantee that we can even fix the issue because it might be um, a more complex issue than we thought. And if we do fix the issue... We still have to deal with all of his other failing organs and the infection and the acid in his blood. And when I was there seeing him in person, I saw the blood in his urine. So I looked at my mom and I said, you know, this man trusted me to make choices for him. I think we need to leave him alone. I don't think he would want us to keep on poking and prodding at him. And my mom was like, I agree. Leave him alone. So I uh, told her, let's just make him comfortable so that he has a peaceful transition to hopefully the afterlife. Hopefully paradise. Um, so... My mom and I said goodbye, our final goodbyes via FaceTime. And he went really quickly. He went very, very quickly. This was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do or decide. But he trusted me. He told all the doctors and the nurses, this is my daughter. She makes my choice. Ask her. And I only made a choice when he couldn't make it for himself. Because as long as he was able to speak, I let him speak for himself. I think I did right by him. Like I said earlier. But of course, there's always that little gnawing feeling like, well, could I have tried something else? But it's been a whirlwind. The combination of becoming my mom's sole soul caretaker, a global pandemic where nobody can really come and comfort you because they're running the risk of being infected. Or you're running the risk of being reinfected, potentially, or infected in the first place. In our case, reinfected, since my mother and I both had COVID. Um, so nobody could physically really be here. A handful of people braved it and still came over. Um, so that being my mom's sole caretaker as she is fully dependent managing my own grief maintaining the house 
and getting back to work as a therapist where that requires emotional stability I have literally had several meltdowns in the last 72 hours Um, I've had to really reach out to my support system and hold on tight to them I'm very fragile. I'm very vulnerable. Any little thing that anybody is saying, I am like not reacting well to. Even if it's well-meaning, well-intentioned, it just pushes me further over the edge. So I'm being really selective about who I'm interacting with at this point because I don't want to be further triggered. And I know that triggers are everywhere. And oftentimes the people that we're triggered by our people that mean well, but again, that doesn't change how we feel. And I think it's important for us to recognize when we're struggling so that we can either have conversations with these people and let them know what we need or keep a safe emotional distance until we feel prepared to resume um, conversations with them. And... That's kind of where I'm at, you know? Um, Most of the people in my life, and I say this with all the love in my heart, that I can possibly muster. While they are amazing, most of the people in my life are very solution-focused. They're logistical. What do you need? You need food? Got you. Do you need me to make a call for you? Got you. Your mom needs something? No problem. I'll deliver it. But in terms of emotional support, I have found that a good amount of the great people in my life that are in fact great, I mean, they are great. They struggle with that. They struggle with providing that. And I know that that for me, is what works. That for me is what I need. And I have felt afraid to open up to certain people out of fear that they'll say like, well, you just need to be strong. You just need to power through this. Because I think that's easy for anyone to say. That's not in my shoes right now. And so again, although people mean well and have wonderful intentions, for me as an individual that is very empathetic, very sensitive, very emotional, very sentimental, I know that it's in my best interest to talk to people that can provide that added layer of emotional support. Or at the very least, talk to people that can be receptive to what I need. That when I say like, hey, I I don't want advice. I just want a hug. I just want support. I just want to hear, Olivia, you're doing a great job. And I love you. And I'm here. That they can be receptive and open to that. And provide me with what I need. Because remember, not everybody needs the same things when they're struggling. But people tend to feel more comfortable providing logistical solutions 
versus emotional support. Emotional support is not an easy thing to, to provide. And not a lot of people feel comfortable with that, with their own feelings for a variety of reasons. And so it's important to, to recognize what it is that you need when you're struggling and either communicate that to others or take some space until you're ready to, you know, resume those relationships um, from a standpoint where you feel comfortable. But I want the world to know that I loved my father. And I want the world to know that I will always love my father. And I want the world to know that I have fond memories of my father. And I want the world to know that I have negative memories of my father. And you can absolutely love somebody and feel hurt by them. Both feelings can exist. You can absolutely care deeply for someone and acknowledge that sometimes that person can be toxic. Both feelings can exist because, you know, growing up in my culture, there's a lot of guilt that comes with it. And it's a lot of, oh, you need to love your parents and your family no matter what they do because they're your family and family first. No matter what they do, it needs to be unconditional. And a lot of that's ingrained in me. And so I feel guilty feeling any bad or negative feelings toward either one of my parents. But I have learned with time that having those bad feelings does not take away from me loving them, does not take away from me caring for them, does not take away from the fact that I wish I could replace my dad. And I don't mean that in a morbid way or in a suicidal way. I mean that in, I love him and I love my mother and I would give my life for the people that I love. I wouldn't even think twice about it. I would give my life for my parents. I would give my life for any of my cousins, family members, my aunts. I would give my life for my friends. I would give my life for my boyfriend. I would. If somebody was like, hey, it's either you or this person. I would do that. And I and I'm not trying to be all, oh my God, Jesus Christ turned the other cheek, you know, martyr status, but it's just the way that I love. I would do it. If I love you and you need a kidney, I'm going to go and see if we're compatible. Period. So I would have given anything to take my father's place. But I know that I know that I know that that's not what he would ever want. And if I know my father at all, he literally probably told God, if something's going to happen to my kid, take me instead. I know it. I know him. I know him. And so I remember 
whenever some stranger like would knock on the door and he would go to open the door I would always open first I'd be like I'm gonna open this door in case somebody shoots at us they can shoot me first I think I referenced that in a previous episode as well um I also believe that a lot of the people that I love would take a bullet for me too. I definitely think it's mutual. And I want to say, and I want to convey how absolutely thankful I am for the amount of love, support, prayers, encouragement that both me and my mom have been receiving. My house is beautiful. It's full of flowers. It looks like a botanical garden. I may start charging admission. Um, people have been amazing. People have been exceeding all expectations. And my heart is full. And I truly believe that the only reason that I am standing here and that I have not crumbled is because of the outpour of support, love, and prayers. Again, I want the world to know that I love my parents. I love them both. I've been hurt by them. I've experienced trauma as a result of their trauma that was displaced on me. And I was never to blame. Because somehow I convinced myself all these years that my family blamed me and not my parents. How is the child that comes into the equation to blame for the parent's toxicity, negativity, and trauma? They're not. But I convinced myself of that because I never felt like they fully understood. And that could be my stuff. Or it could be that they conveyed that in some way. Or it could be a combination of both. Whatever the case might be, it wasn't my fault. I've been a good daughter. Have I been the perfect daughter? No. But have I been a good one? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been loving. I've been caring. I've been involved. I know every single medication that those two take. I know every single medical condition that those two have. I know their allergies. I know their favorite things what they like to eat, what they don't like to eat, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. I can read them. I include them in everything in my life. I hide nothing from them. I tell them everything. I also suffer from depression and anxiety. And that has been difficult for me to navigate through at times. But I've always been there for them. And it sucks to feel like people don't see that. But if there's anything I've learned, it's that people don't need to see that. You need to know that. You need to be comfortable with your reality. Because... 
there are going to be a lot of people in your life that are never going to validate you. Whether it's because they just don't want to, they're not capable, or they don't think you require it, or whatever the case may be. You need to validate you. You need to be comfortable with you, with what you've done and the decisions and choices that you have made. And I know that I know that I know that I have not been the perfect daughter, but I know that on a scale from one to 10, 10 being perfect and one being the worst daughter in the world, I would give myself a solid eight. Seven and a half, eight. Because there's room for growth. And my father saw the best of me and the worst of me. But I know that the best of me is what he took with him. And I know that the best of me is what kept him going. And it feels so fulfilling and meaningful to know that he would brag about me to people. I always felt, especially growing up, like he was never really proud of me because of certain things that he would say and do. So to know that he told so many people, like, hey, my daughter's a therapist, she's really smart. I'm so proud of her. That's so awesome. His primary doctor told me that. And when I went to get some medications for my mom the other day, I let the people there know that he'd passed. And they had this just reaction, like they couldn't believe it. And then they were like, are you his daughter, the therapist? He's always talking about you. And that just brought so much warmth to my heart. (sighs) Let me tell you guys something. I've been through some shit. I've been through some things in my life. Some difficult, grueling things. And nothing that I've achieved has ever come easily to me. I achieved a master's degree in mental health counseling with a license in the entire state to practice psychotherapy. And that was through blood, sweat, and tears, and trauma, and depression, and anxiety, and battles with toxic people, gaslighting me. I achieved meaningful, healthy, beautiful connections with people in my life. I have an army of amazing human beings surrounding me that feel like my role in their lives has been substantial. Which is so unbelievably humbling and touching. And so... gotta I gotta be nicer to myself because the world is full of mean-spirited people I have to treat myself better that's a big takeaway for me and I have to understand that not everyone's going to get me and just because someone doesn't understand your experience doesn't mean your experience wasn't real For example, my mom is insanely difficult to take care of. 
she is like a very difficult patient. I mean, I, I, I will give you $5 and an ice cream cone if you can handle her for 48 hours without like going crazy. Um, and so of course, when I vent about it, it's like, well, you should just be happy that you have a mom or well, she's still your mom. So you need to put up with it. And that just feels so invalidating to me. And I just have to remind myself, like my experiences are my experiences. I lived them. I breathed them. And so I don't need anybody to be like, you're right. That really did happen to you. I don't fucking need that. And so repeat after me, y'all. I'm going to say it once and then I want you to play it back and repeat it. Or I'll say it again for dramatic effect. I don't fucking need anyone to validate my experiences in order to make them real or true. I don't need anyone to validate my experiences in order to make them real or true. And I really need to work on that because I crave that. I crave that so much. But I don't need it because I know what I've been through and I know what I've lived through and I know what I've done right and I know what I've done wrong and I don't need anybody to tell me anything. So you know what you've lived through. You know what your experiences have been. Nobody gets to gaslight you. Nobody gets to tell you, oh, but did it really happen like that? Or are you exaggerating? Are you being dramatic? Are you being sensitive? You just need to get over it, honestly. Nobody gets to do that to you. They can try. But you get to decide whether or not to let that affect you. Decide not to let it. Join me in this journey. I know it's easier said than done, but we can do it together. There's no time limit on grief. And I know that I am going to struggle with this for a long time if not forever I went ahead and made his arrangements by myself he wanted to be cremated I picked a really nice urn to bring him home in and I purchased a necklace where I will have a little bit of him to take with me everywhere and so dad If you're listening to me up above, I want you to know that I inherited your charm, your charisma, your friendliness, your ability to make a friend everywhere you go, your compassion, your love for music, I am my father's daughter. But dad, if you're listening, I also want you to know that I'm learning how to correct your mistakes. I am still struggling with some deep-seated insecurities and some feelings of paranoia and some feelings of mistrust, much like you did. But in spite of that, I've managed to build really meaningful friendships and relationships with others 
based on a really healthy foundation. And I know that's something that you struggled with. Maintaining long relationships with others. So I want to let you know that. I put an end to that for you. And I did better. And I pray that if I have children, that they will do better. That those feelings of insecurities and mistrust and paranoia will not follow my kids. If I do things right. And you did better than your parents, dad. So much better. And I want you to know that. Everywhere you went. You. Left a footprint. You made an impact. And I hope to see you again someday. And. I hope. That. I continue to do good work with my clients and make you proud and give you something to brag about in the afterlife. If you've lost a loved one to COVID-19, I'm sorry for your loss. And know that I'm in this journey right beside you. COVID is not a hoax. It's not fake. I had it. I lived it. And I promise you that even for me, who is young and otherwise healthy, I could tell there was something in my body that just did not belong. It was a very weird, strange, and uncomfortable experience. I saw what it did to my dad. I saw him decompensate in 30 minutes. COVID is not a lie. Stop making it political. Take the precautions. If you qualify for the vaccine, take the vaccine. Be safe. I spent nine months trying to protect my parents from exactly this. Being very careful and being very mindful about my social interactions. But not careful enough, apparently. I still remember when COVID started, me telling my dad, Dad, What's going to happen? Not all of us are going to make it out of this. Alive. And he said, it's going to be very sad. Talk about foreshadowing. Nine months later, I lost my dad. I love you, dad. And I love every single one of you that listens. And I appreciate everyone that takes the time to stay on this journey with me and just know that I see you and I value every single one of you until next time.